I am Cheyenne. Nothing, no one, will ever make me forget or abandon my heritage. I'm also an individual, Professor. You say we must wear these clothes? I will do as you ask, but in my own manner. If that bothers you, I can leave. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to Noob Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. I'm Professor Z. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects. But away from the stress of having to worry about the sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards, we like to think of it as learning and luxury. Noob? Yes, Professor? Oh, they're so respectful. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the rest of the class your name, your favorite color, and what you're here to learn about. Uh, my name is Mac. I love emerald green, and I'm an apprenticing nerd for the topic of magic in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> okay, because you added that, like, specific of what you're apprenticing, I'll agree. But I was about to be like, McElroy, <laughs> you're far beyond an apprentice at this point, my boy. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Now, there was some required reading for today's class, specifically the Demon Bear Saga, mm. as one of the characters we're going to be talking about is Danny Moonstar. Like 90% of our episode. <laughs> what can, before, before Professor Z sets us straight, what do you think you know about Danny Moonstar? Danny Moonstar is training to be the leader of the New Mutants with her psychic abilities, but feels that they aren't enough to hold her own in combat. What are her psychic abilities? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> uh, she... Not gonna lie, that's kind of fair from the reading. <laughs> nope, that's... We'll talk about that as soon as this is done. Go ahead. Go on. Uh, she feels that the burden of her parents' death, as she sees that they are dead currently, uh, is on her, and so she is determined to train to fight the demon bear on her own and defeat it, which obviously goes horribly wrong. Uh, and Manus ensues after that. <laughs> Accurate. So this is one of those ones I mentioned, uh, the Scarlet Witch one, we were going into a series where I had not read pretty much any of the books that we've been reading for this, which was a brave choice on my part for required <laughs> reading. And um, it paid off. I'm not unhappy with it. I understand why the Demon Bear Saga is as big as it is. This is like one of the X-Men stories, especially for one of the side teams. But I did not know until I started reading that she's in a coma for most of it. Yeah. And I went, whoops. Well, it's a good thing we just covered magic because this is a much better storytelling of who magic is as a person than what we did last time mm -hmm. <laughs> we did magic. Um, it's interesting for me because I have, between these two characters, I have read 40 issues of The New Mutants, give or take, plus a graphic novel, preparing for these. And that's not even a tenth of what I would really like to be able to read for each one of these episodes. But I have a life, so, you know. Yeah, kind of. I have a job and I have a wife, man. Like, it, okay, it qualifies. Good point. Uh, <laughs> um, good point. <laughs> but, but that led me to be like, oh, man, I had so many... There were so many better Danny stories in the issues preceding this and immediately after this. 
But this is one of the f important Danny interacting with magic stories. Uh, uh -huh. And I have mentioned, I mentioned it elsewhere. This is the witches section, as we've been calling this, is not the best place to put Danny Moonstar. Because she's not a witch. I probably should have put her with the Valkyries because that's going to be a huge part of her story coming up because she's friggin' awesome. But there was this other new mutant and I just... Not putting them together didn't feel... Right. No, no, putting all the mutants together feels pretty good. Appropriate, yeah. And we're still counting Scarlet Witch on that because I will die on that hill. I'm just here. I'm, in. <laughs> I'm watching. Uh, we will also be discussing just very briefly the character of Forge. And I think we said this last week, but just we were really unsure about whether we wanted to lump these two characters together because we didn't want to be like, here's the Native American episode. Like, uh, it'd be super easy to white boy make this awkward. But they run in the same circles. They're tangentially connected in a way that I will be talking about. And they both don't have a lot to do with magic. Um, and Forge, we're only going to talk about him for a few minutes. Because he's got two big things where he did magic and they connect to the same thing. Danny, I'm just going to run over Danny's life story. Because one, it goes in and out of magic the whole time. Mm -hmm. And two, I have very much fallen in love with Danny Moonstar as a character over the course of reading these. So, like... If we were to ever do a season with a noob talking about the X-Men, like, they're each going to get their own episode. Yeah. If we do a technology season, or like a science season, Forge is going to get a whole thing to himself. But when we're talking about magic and the X-Men, it kind of just makes sense to throw them together. Yeah, it has to come up, but it's not... It would be the world's shortest episode to be like, and then Forge did this thing. All right, let's go to the reading. Um, that's, that's how small it is. Mm -hmm. Question. Do you know who Forge is? No. Okay. I'm just nodding along. Okay, yeah. perfect. Excellent. We're great teachers. Um, I assume it's a pop quiz later, though, so I'm, I'm taking notes. Pop quiz. Who is Forge? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. You know what's kind of embarrassing here, and I didn't realize this till right now? I don't know if Forge has a name. He's just Forge. That's all he needs. Yeah, I'm I'm looking here. He uh I, I am seeing and if I am wrong and someone knows Forge's name, please let me know. But everyone calls him Forge. Forge. <laughs> His character's name is Forge. His X-Men name is Forge. Under other aliases that I'm looking at here, there is Maker and Skitch. Maker makes sense. Uh, Skitch is... I don't know. I don't... I feel like that's... It almost sounds like it's a pejorative, but I don't know what it means. So, um... Also, don't put a pejorative under someone's aliases. I... So, <laughs> I'm just imagining, like... So Forge was in Vietnam. I'm just imagining his dog tag reading Forge. Forge. No, I guess so. Okay. So, Forge is a, he is a sh member of the Cheyenne Nation and probably the most prominent Native American character in, er, in Marvel Comics. If not him, it's going to be Danny, and Forge has appeared in more cartoons. Yes. 
Yes. So I'm going to give it to Forge, but like... And I think more video games. That's about it. Forge is actually one of the most underrated X-Men as far as I'm concerned. He's a great character. His mutant power is completely unrelated to magic, but he's an X-Man, so we have to talk about it. Um, He has the ability to make things. Okay. To invent things. I know, that sounds like nothing. But literally, if there is a problem and he needs to create a piece of tech to fix it, he can do it. Okay. He doesn't always know what he's building or why it works. It just does. It just does. So they're like, okay, Forge, we need to go to space. Can you fix up the Blackbird so it can fly in space now? And he's like, yes, I can. Ow. <laughs> just give me a hammer. <laughs> we'll find out, my guys. <laughs> we will mostly be telling Forge's story through the 80s because that is when his magic stuff is much more involved mm-hmm. because he is also a trained Cheyenne shaman. Now, this is going to be true with both Forge and Danny Moonstar. These stories were written by a white man who was trying very hard to bring inclusion into the stories he was writing, but is not trained in... um, Anything? In Cheyenne religious studies Literature, beliefs, practices. Yes, exactly. And Claremont is actually pretty decent at it, from what I understand. But every once in a while, and they will come up in the Demon Bear Saga, we'll talk about it a bit. Things that you're like, oh, oh, I don't... I don't think that was good. You know, for example, a Demon Bear is probably not a significant part of Cheyenne native history or legend. I don't know, but as far as I can tell... I think that's one of those ones where it's not exactly an offensive pick, though, either. No, it it's is just... It's a bear. The, the, it, yeah. yeah. It's really funny. The artist before the Demon Bear Saga is a pretty traditional comic book artist. Good. He's very good, but it's not the avant-garde that Bill Sienkiewicz was doing. And it's literally kind of like smoke in the form of a kind of almost cartoonish bear. Mm-hmm. Like... Smoke the bear. <laughs> and then the next this. one is like, what is happening right there? What am I looking at? So, the man known as Forge is a Cheyenne Indian and a pupil of a shaman named, I think it's Naze? N-A-Z-E. Uh, that works for me. I'm going to go with Naze. I read it as Naze, but like, let's be honest, if I read it a certain way, that means it's probably not the correct way to pronounce it. If we haven't learned from the Romani episodes we've done. Naze being a shaman in his tribe. Forge develops considerable mystical powers as a result of his training with Naze, uh, and was also a mutant with the inventing powers that we just talked about. He actually seems to have had it relatively good as a mutant growing up, which is, you know, a lot of times mutants feared, hated, But his power, you could easily overlook his power as just, oh, he's just a genius. Yeah, but Forge is not necessarily subtle about it either. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's like, look at my robot leg. <laughs> Forge is the opposite of subtle. <laughs> but he's a Native American in the 60s and 70s. It's not the best time. No. Just, but, uh, you know, he's not having, like, his family throwing sticks at him because his mutant powers developed. 
which has happened in a few cases. Maggot didn't have a good day. Forge serves in Vietnam, and as far as I know, this is still considered canon. Like, a lot of places have updated the character to serve in more recent wars. Okay. Say, Punisher originally served in Vietnam. He is, these days, he was... I guess part of the global war on terror. Uh, Iron Man, same thing. Because uh, Iron Man originally... Oh, I guess, yeah. I think was just vague Asia? Where he was originally uh, captured? Like, it's not... Yeah. Um, I shouldn't have brought that one up without looking it up first. But Forge, Vietnam has kind of remained part of his story. Got it. And you just kind of get to accept it thanks to the sliding time scale of Marvel Comics and just don't think about it too heavily. You just go with it. I've learned that pretty quickly. He loses his right hand and right leg in a B-52 attack and as far as I can tell, really quickly uh, builds his robot hand and leg. Like, like as I said, he is not subtle about the wild stuff that he is getting up to here. <laughs> oh my goodness. During the war, Forge uses the soul of nine dead comrades to open a battle or to open a portal that will release a demon known as the adversary to win a battle. Basically, he's about to get wiped out. Nine of his companions have been killed, and he uses their souls to open up a portal, release a demon into the world. That doesn't the, seem like a good guy thing no. to do. Oh boy. And as a result, he uh, sinks into a suicidal depression and tries to kill himself. Here, I guess, is where he designs an artificial hand and leg. But the battle where he lost his hand and leg is mm. the same battle where he summons the demon. It's not like, got bombed by the thing, built my robot stuff, was fine for a while, then summoned the demon. He just had one really bad day mm. kick up all at once. And for reasons, uh, to quote the Wikipedia article that I was found this part from, for reasons... Connected with the war that has not yet been made clear, Forge decided to give up his ability to wield magic. I feel like that's because he summoned a demon from the pits of hell. Sacrificing <laughs> nine of his friend's souls to do so. Maybe I shouldn't do that again. No. <laughs> it's a fair response. The adversary, very quick, is kind of a neato-looking demon who uh, claims to be older than life itself, if I remember. An ancient mystical entity, possibly demonic in nature, who sought to destroy the universe and create a new one in its stead. <laughs> the Cheyenne referred to him as the adversary, or referred to the adversary as the great trickster, uh, mostly because he uses deception and trickery to do what he wants. He comes from a dimension of chaos, which he loves and seeks to spread to Earth's dimension, overturning order merely for the sake of who's going to stop me. Uh, he considers himself a gamester. He kind of has really hardcore Q if Q was much more malevolent, like Star Trek Next Generation, not weird conspiracy theory trying to overthrow our nation Q, just to get that <laughs> oh, okay. out there. But, or the winged serpent. Or the winged serpent. You know, the adversary mostly is around to um, be difficult and to suck. After this happens, after the war... Forge just focuses on becoming an inventor. And after Tony Stark stops creating weapons and becomes an Iron Man, the U.S. government largely starts turning to Forge to be their next big weapons inventor. As they would. Uh, he gets most of his work from the Defense Department. He is commissioned to devise a mean of detecting 
and combating these uh, shape-shifting aliens known as the Dire Wraiths. That sounds amazing. Who are... Dire? Dire and their wraiths. Uh, no, they have the ability to disguise themselves. They're, they're your <laughs> secret invasion standard human. They have the ability to look human. So like invasion they got of a body of, snatchers? Yeah, or the scrolls. Yeah. Or uh, they're kind of neato looking. They're connected to a toy line called uh, Rom Space Knight. That yeah, was a failed Rom. <laughs> Rom was an absolutely failed toy line, but it launched a comic that ran for like 90 issues. Because people really liked the comic, but really hated the toy. That's fair. I mean, I have Ron comics. Like, Frank Miller drew, drew his first issue early, early, long before he did, like, Dark Knight Returns or Batman Year One or any of the wild stuff Frank Miller got up to later on. Um, There's supposedly going to be a Ron movie coming. Yeah, we'll see. I, I hope so. Yeah. It, I know Zach Penn is currently attached to write the script. Not connected in any way, shape, or form to Marvel anymore, though. They lost the right... Like 20 years ago. Because mm. uh, it's Hasbro or Mattel or okay. one of those. But Forge. Forge creates a scanning device that could theoretically uh, detect the presence of superhumanly powerful mutants and extraterrestrials in its wielder's vicinity and could even specifically differentiate between dire race and other aliens. He also creates what is known as the Neutralizer, a device that could... Uh, Take away your superpowers. You know, this sounds like it's going to go bad really quickly. Oh, almost immediately. <laughs> Congratulations on catching on to that as quickly as you did. Uh, Henry Gyrick, an agent of the NSA, or NSC, the National Security Council, which is the NSA, but we don't want to say it, takes the only existing model of Forge's neutralizer and uses it, or in hoping to use it on Rogue, uh, who had, at this point, just joined the X-Men. Okay. Who was falsely suspected of killing an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Forge really pissed at this because uh, the neutralizer was still untested and he didn't know what would happen if you actually shot someone with it. Like, he made it, yeah. but he hadn't used it yet. So he's like, he's not insane. Is it going to depower someone for like 10 minutes or is it going to do it forever? Or are they just going to die? Does dying count as depowering them? Yes. Well, for some mutants, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> like, where's this going to run? He attempts to stop Gyrick from shooting Rogue, but instead, Gyrick shoots Storm with it as she's attempting to protect her colleague. Storm loses her powers for the next several years of X-Men comics. Oh, my God. Yep. During this time, she will also seize control of the X-Men from Cyclops, a really killer issue, though. So, like... This is right, like, Mohawk Storm era. It is peak Storm realizing that she's actually really cool. Doesn't need her powers. Mm-hmm. Storm falls into a river because her powers were removed because she was shot. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Forge <laughs> rescues her and takes her to his... He has a uh, home base called Eagle Plaza in Dallas, Texas. He nurses her back to health and they become strongly attached to each other until Storm realizes the Forge had created the neutralizer gun Man. that cost her her powers mm -hmm. and she leaves very betrayed and furious. He will get involved a little bit here with Rom in the Battle of the Dire Wraiths and then together with Naze, Magic, and Amanda Sefton, so Magic 1 and Magic 2, Got it. he will join with uh, Storm and the other X-Men defeating the Wraiths who come after Forge. But Storm's hatred of Forge persists. Naze fakes his death in a complicated thing involving the Dire Wraiths. 
the dire wraith assumes his identity and then immediately falls under the mental control of the adversary. So the adversary accidentally sees control of a dire wraith <laughs> instead of Naze, the Native American Cheyenne shaman that he's been trying to seize control of for a while now. He got outplayed. <laughs> <laughs> That's so smart. Now. Meanwhile, Forge is mostly hanging out in Eagle Plaza, creating holograms of Storm so he can stare longingly at her. Because Forge is a underrated X-Men, but he's also kind of a weirdo putz. <laughs> there will be a lot more battles between the Wraiths, with uh, Forge and the X-Men, and then Forge and Rom, and Forge and Rom, and the X-Men... And this will go on for a while. And if we, as I said, do a science episode, we will go deeper into this section. But this does bring us to the uh, next kind of important stuff. He does destroy his neutralizer around this time. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get used for anything good. Oh, shocker. Forge's next scene on top of a mountain, seemingly opening a dimension portal filled with demons. Storm, who's been <laughs> Storm, who has been manipulated by the adversary, who is disguised as Nas Naze. So at this point, it might be the adversary possessing the dire wraith, who is pretending to be Naze. Hmm. But. Actual adversary. I'm just going to go with the adversary and then mm -hmm. try to repeat that again. Manipulate Storm being like, he summoned in some demons. Better stop She's him. like, I'm going to go stop him. And it turns out he's trying to stop the portal full of demons and close it, not open it. But uh, she finds this out after she stabs Forge in the chest. Oops. The, <laughs> the adversary then traps Forge and Storm in another dimension and seizes control of Dallas, Texas. Warping time and space... Uh, in order to create more chaos, because why not? Forge and Storm spend a year on an alternate Earth, during which time they make peace and admit their love for one another. Which is a story I picked up, but it's a storyline that's just those two on an alternate planet with no explanation before or after. And I picked this up in like college, and I'm like, oh, cool, I heard about them falling in love. And I was like, I have no idea what's happening in any of this. <laughs> It's Barry Windsor Smith drawing it, so it's gorgeous, but I don't know at all what's going on. After a fight, uh, Aurora leaves, and Forge uses components from his cybernetic leg to fashion a new device that restores Storm's ability to use her powers. Wait. Wh he's been able to do this the whole time? Just don't think about it, man. <laughs> you, so the <laughs> yeah, I mean, theoretically, and this is probably why Forge isn't used a lot, his powers are so wild that it's it's got to, like... Similar to the Scarlet Witch's reality warping powers, it's got to be hard to use them. I would have... I don't know. <laughs> like, how do you... It's such a weirdly... Weird, like, the wording for his power is so strange that he can just do anything. Yes, exactly. He can create whatever you need. So he could have been like, while he was nursing back to health, you know, I probably could invent something that fixes you. Oh, yeah. I'm just not gonna. I'm wondering, and I don't know, I would have to read a bunch more Forge comics to know if there is some level of... Uh, premonition. Premonition or like waiting that's required or like, you know, like maybe the back of his brain is working on a fix for the problem. Yeah. Sometimes the X-Men powers are just really poorly defined because <laughs> they're like, that's really interesting. How's it work? Uh, it just does. But combined with his weirdo abilities and her powers being back, they energize a portal back to their own world. Forge and Storm rejoin the X-Men and are captured by the Omniversal Guardian Roma. 
No, sorry, I misread that. They are captured in the Omniversal Guardian Roma's Starlight Citadel. Roma is the daughter of Merlin. We talked about her oh. in the Captain Britain episode. The adversary has seized control of the Citadel, which is really bad because it is part of the center of the multiverse. Mm. Like, this is a guy that wants to break into other dimensions and unleash chaos. If he controls this place, he can do it. Forge is forced to use his mystical abilities again to banish the adversary, using the souls of eight X-Men and Madeline Pryor Summers, who is the clone of Jean Grey, that we do not have time to go into, but I believe we cover in an episode of Word Balloons, if you're ever curious on that one. Roma restores the X-Men to life and frees the adversary under the notion that there could be no order without chaos. So... They stop the whole thing. The adversary is going to be gone forever, but it's going to cost the lives of the X-Men. Mm. Except for Forge, because he can't be one of the nine souls because he's got to be doing the spell thingy. Uh, Roma decides, you know, maybe we actually do need chaos, just not that much chaos. So she brings the X-Men back to life, but the adversary is banned for, to quote her words, an age. She's related to Merlin, so I mean... <laughs> You know, this is, this is the yeah. best you get. Now, uh, shortly after this, and we mentioned this briefly last episode, Magic, who thinks that F Forge just killed her brother and used his soul to banish a demon, decides to kidnap him, take him to Limbo, and murder him. With or torture him. Or murder and torture him. Or torture murder. Yeah, you know, a whole bunch of things going on. But uh, the New Mutants convince her that maybe she should not do that and should not become the Dark Child. But we've already done a very long episode about her becoming the Dark Child back and forth. So we don't need to dive back <laughs> into that. This is going to bring us to Danny Moonstar. And I will tell in a moment how these two are connected, but I'll wait till we get to the part. Danny Moonstar is a young Cheyenne woman first appearing in mm. Marvel graphic novel number four. Before we transfer too much off Forge, please. I do want to. I want to share my favorite thing <laughs> connected to Forge, which has happened recently in the comics, which is they share a page of his daily planner. Oh my God! What's the, the while he's living on Krakoa, and I'm just going to go straight from the comic for this. Uh, <laughs> This is this turned up in the uh, the X Force run. <laughs> Forge's daily planner. Don beachfied breakfast meeting with Xavier. Placed order the night before for Krakoan spinach and turtle egg. Twenty turtle a twenty turtle egg omelet. A pound of black market turtle eggs. They're they're endangered. A pound of black market bacon and a gallon of black coffee. Wow, that's a lot of coffee. On agenda, making more cool. <laughs> Checklist. Sculpt mustache. Left side accidentally longer. He does have a truly excellent mustache. I should say that. And launder tights. Deep sea water rinse. Question of the day. Krakoan flag? Shouldn't we have one? And put it on our weapons? Yes. <laughs> Brainstorm sweet <laughs> organic jets. <laughs> Brains. <laughs> you can do this. You can do this without laughing. I believe in you. Brainstorm sweet organic jet ski and hovercraft with plankton skirted wave control. Whoa. Be sure not to forget 500 squats every morning at 10 a.m. New goal. There's so many squats. <laughs> Note, the nation of Terra Verde has so far refused to sign the treaty recognizing mutant sovereignty. 
sovereignty, sovereignty. This is believed to be in part because they're developing a so-called telefloronics organic tech. Obviously, theirs will suck compared to mine, but still better to investigate. Meeting in the armory with Black Tom to discuss improvements to island security. Follow-up. Black Tom seems super nervous and keeps referring to himself as we. Stable? Ask Gene to look into his skull and poke around. God. Finish prototype for coral perimeter defenses. Roll out production on wingsuit. Roll out production on forest of missile launchers. <laughs> Begin farming poisonous pollens and mind control fungal spores and oxygen-rich plankton for deep water lungs. Develop Krakoan body spray with extra HE pheromones that smells like bacon and leather. Test out by walking past Domino. <laughs> Does she look twice? <laughs> Be sure not to forget 500 push-ups every afternoon at 4 p.m. New goal. Homework. Short stack is requested. I build him redacted. The question isn't, should I? The question is, how long should I make him wait just to annoy him? <laughs> Short stack referring to Wolverine. Heck yeah. So it sounds like he knows exactly how his power works. Wolverine <laughs> super does not trust Forge either. either. Because Forge is absolutely insane. It sounds like this Again, stuff up. We're, we're in the magic episode, so we're going to move on past Forge. But there's the whole thing of, like, the ghost box that's something he's using to enter, like alternate universes that he creates that he then later fires lasers through. Um, he goes completely insane and becomes a villain for a while. He actually gets saved from his insanity because Cable needs his help. So he traps him in a psychic image of his own brain. Mm -hmm. But in the psychic image, his brain looks like a machine and forges like inner psyche just starts fixing the machine without oh, and then it fixes realizing it and it fixes his brain. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, sorta. You yeah. did just hear all that. That's he amazing. also has a long on again, off again relationship with Mystique. And when I mean on again, off again, I mean like one moment they're making out and the next moment they are straight up trying to murder each other. No, that sounds like a stable so, relationship right there. God, I love Forge. That's on all He's the time. He's so good. But we are coming to the other one who I didn't know I liked until I started researching these ones. Danielle Moonstar, also known as, originally known as Psyche, but later on changed her name to Mirage. She is, however, an X-Men more like Jean Grey or Emma Frost, where she's better known by her person name than she is by any code name she adopts. Like, Jean Grey has been Marvel Girl, she's been uh, Phoenix, Emma Frost is technically the White Queen, but she's just Emma Frost. Uh, Mirage comes up. She even calls herself just Moonstar more often than not. So mm. it's just Danny Moonstar. Danny's original mutant power, and more of them will come up over time, but her base level mutant power is that she has the ability to project either your greatest fear or your greatest desire directly in front of you. Oh. And that's her psychic power. Okay. She also, because... It's a Native American character created in the 80s, has a telepathic rapport with animals. Oh, wow. <laughs> which does work in the favor of the New Mutants because she's the only one that can talk to Wolfsbane when she's in full wolf mode. Yes. I will say it's done better than most other, like, mm -hmm. shamanistic Native characters from older times. Because it's treated more as an extension of her empathy rather than, I have a mystical connection to animals. My ancient native magics have taught... No, no. 
<laughs> it's more just like, no, this is just part it of connects. being a mutant it's, empath. Yeah. It's a little out of left field, but like a lot of her variations of powers that will come up, but I don't mind in the same way that Emma Frost has the ability to be a telepath and also the ability to turn her body into diamond. So I'm really not going to complain about <laughs> two not really connected, but still telepathic powers. A mm -hmm. uh, member of the Cheyenne nation, uh, her powers emerge around puberty and she cannot control them at all. Uh, manifesting the images at unexpected moments uh, tends to kind of piss off everyone in her community. Oh, I'd imagine. Because, you know, hey, what's up? Oh my god, that's the thing I fear most in the world. It's not an easy way to, like, live, make friends. <laughs> and imagine they didn't know that they feared it until they saw it either. God, imagine having a crush on someone and being, like, uncomfortable because they show that with mutant powers that you're like if you're nervous or emotional your powers are more likely to kick up and you're like hi hi cute person here's a giant spider ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh the only people who continue to get along with her are her parents william and peg lone star and her grandfather the chief and shaman black eagle oh. one night danny creates a vision of her parents deaths and shortly after her parents disappear on a trip in the mountains Oops. Moonstar thinks they've been killed and begins having nightmares about a demonic bear, who she believes responsible for the death. Mm -hmm. In fact, Moonstar's parents had been transformed into the demonic bear. This bear intends to do the same thing to Danny, but spells from her grandfather Black Eagle keep the demonic bear away from her. This is where it does connect to the adversary. This has never been said in the comics, but in the... Letters page. Do you remember when comics mm -hmm. had like letter pages? Like people would write in with questions and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, it was said that the adversary was the person that transformed her parents into the demonic bear. Because why not? He's a weird chaos demon and kind of a. Mm. That's it. That's the yeah. entire. That's but you know, there, <laughs> there we have it. And it's literally the only time the demonic, the demon bear, has been given an origin story of any way, shape, or form. After her parents' disappearance, Moonstar is uh, taken in by their uh, friends of the family, the Roberts family. She is initially close friends with the son, Pat, but uh, after a unfortunate... Well, you know what? It says they're initially friends, but it kind of sounds like Pat is pretty universally terrible to her. Mm. He's very racist. Mm. And she lashes out with her psychic power, again, on accident after he is goading her and unleashes images of Pat's greatest fears and desires before Pat and his family. Neither one is a thing that you necessarily want your parents to see when you're 14. Mm -mm. Roughly. I don't have that exact age, but I mean, a teenager. Uh, after this, Moonstar flees to the mountains where Black Eagle raises her over the following years. Looking to help his granddaughter, who at this point is just hanging out in the mountains, kind of living her best life in some ways, because she's Hanging out with a mountain lion that she's befriended and oh, given a name to and stuff, yeah. just being nice. cool. But also no control over the whole projecting worst fears things. Um, Black Eagle sends a letter to Professor Charles Xavier asking for help with, uh, util uh, with how to properly utilize her mutant powers. Xavier was an old army friend of Daniel's father, and they were actually considered blood brothers. Hmm. Xavier will, very important, like... Her father was my blood brother. You and know, as, her, as the blood brother of her father, um, it will come up a lot. 
she is collected in along with the other new mutants, though it's actually more much more complicated because at first Black Eagle says, Hey, you're gonna go to uh Professor Xavier. And she's like, I'm absolutely not going to the white guy's place. <laughs> not doing this. And it's not brought up in the story, but I did hear this in a different podcast talking about this. Native Americans have a really bad history of white guys sending them to boarding schools and nothing good happening. Yeah. So I do not blame her at all for maybe thinking this is a bad idea. <laughs> but while she is arguing with her grandfather about this, she does her thing and unleashes the thing he fears most, which is a vision of him being murdered by the Hellfire Club, which he had seen through various shamanic visions. The very next night, he is murdered by the Hellfire Club. <laughs> More specifically, Donald Pierce, a member of the Hellfire Club who becomes a cyborg and is super wild, and who is trying to overthrow the mutant factor of the Hellfire Club. Because technically, the Hellfire Club is not just a bunch of evil mutants. Mm. It is a bunch of evil rich people, several of whom happen to be mutants. And rich. Donald Pierce is the uh, part cyborg guy who is the dragon for the bad guy in Logan. Got it. Okay. Oh. Played by Boyd Holbrook. I forgot about that. Yeah. I haven't seen Logan since it came out. Good movie. Saved from Pierce by the mutant Karma and Professor Xavier, Danny agrees to work with the Professor to get her revenge on Pierce. Uh, along the way, she will meet the other new mutants, including Rain, the Irish werewolf girl, who she will become so close with that she becomes actually psychically bonded to her. Uh, Cannonball, a young Kentucky miner. Uh, Sunspot, a Afro-Latinx... Son of a rich kid, honestly. Super rich. <laughs> who has the power to... Uh, he absorbs sunlight mm. and transforms it into various mutant powers, mostly super strength and kind of a cool glowing black look. But he later gains the ability to fly and shoot energy blasts as well. Pretty good. And Karma, who I already mentioned, who has the ability to possess people. Uh, they end up taking on... Pierce and stopping her him and she decides at the very last moment to not kill Pierce even though she had sworn that his life was hers and instead save Rain okay. which is kind of the start of those two being real ride or die for each other for the rest of this story hmm. at this point she ends up joining the new mutants where she adapts the basic X-Men training uniform with uh, deerskin boots and a belt her mother had given her. Got it. She is basically a leader of the New Mutants. Uh, almost immediately. Technically, Karma was the leader at first as the oldest, but really quickly, Danny kind of emerges as the person who should be in charge. She's the only member of the team to pass the first test in the danger room, the danger room being the uh, training room of the X-Men, where each one was sent through individually. All of them come in real confident, and none of them make it through except for her. I mean, she does have her own issues in the process. Around this time, it comes out that the professor only actually formed the new mutants because he had been possessed by a brood queen egg inside of him. Whoa. The brood are an alien species really close to the species from Alien. Like the the movie. Yeah, yeah. The uh, xenomorphs. The xenomorphs, thank you, yes. Except instead of 
they have more of a hive mind going on instead of mindless yada 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 and uh, th when they emerge they can take the power of whatever they were hatched from okay so this brood queen has the ability to you know make more brood and she has the body and powers of professor charles xavier it's not great. No, that sounds terrible. The New Mutants have their absolute trial of fire by helping free Professor X from this brute queen. And despite the fact that he only actually gathered them together because the brood queen was looking for more power people to steal, mm. they end up staying together as a new team. But he is being very clear, they are not the X-Men. They are not here to protect the world, yada, yada, yada. That's mm. the X-Men's job. They're here to be students and to learn. Got it. The prof has lost several students at this point, and he is trying to learn from his mistakes. <laughs> He's got to stop. <laughs> Can't keep losing these people. She begins to gain her powers under control, although when startled, she does still occasionally let them out, and she doesn't have a whole lot of control of what she's doing with it. She's like, you will see what you fear most, but it's not... It's hard to use it tactically. But what are you laughing so? I just had this mental image of someone jumping on the closet going, boo! And then in response, they get their worst fear <laughs> thrown back at them. They're like, ah! Oh, God! <laughs> and just everyone's screaming in the room. <laughs> yeah. Um, for the most part, it tends to be done one person at a time, I think. She doesn't tend to do a whole room, but who knows, if she's got enough adrenaline from a good boo, it's possible. <laughs> Surprise party. Ah! Kitty Pride has a, like, Shadow Cat, has a very difficult relationship with the New Mutants initially because Professor X tries to downgrade her from an X-Man to a New Mutant, and she's like, oh, hell no. No, no, uh-uh, I have earned my spot. But in the process, and I mean, she's openly being like, I'm not going to join the baby X-Men. And the mutants are like, hey, I'm older than you. Rude. <laughs> but she is very close with magic. Mm. This one is. Kitty Pride. Yes, this version of Kitty Pride. Yes. Magic has very complicated feelings of Kitty Pride is my best friend. <laughs> And my older brother's girlfriend. And, and also I killed a cat version of her, but I haven't told her about this. <laughs> We're just going to move on past that. Kitty Pride is kidnapped by the White Queen of the Hellfire Club, unaware that she shares a psychic link with magic. Magic, sensing their friend is danger, enlists the new mutants uh, and charge to her rescue. However, they're all captured and forced to attend the White Queen's Massachusetts Academy. There, a rivalry starts between the New Mutants and the other young team at the Academy, a group called the Hellions, who are going to be the White Queen's minions for most of this time. Mm. Uh, these two secretly compete in a challenge with the idea of one-on-one. -on -one. If the New Mutants win, the Hellions will allow them to escape. If the Hellions win, the New Mutants will join the Hellions without question. And because this is the 80s, they take this very seriously of like, we've got a backyard bet. And I'm going to have to f base the rest of my life off of this one single moment. <laughs> but also, they're like 16. So, yeah, that kind of still feel like I was reading this being like, are you freaking kidding me? But at the same time, when I was 16, I probably also been like, <sighs> so intense. dude. <laughs> the White Queen interrupts the match and chaos ensues. But the New Mutants do manage to get away safely. 
Also, around this time, actually before this, but whatever, the New Mutants go on a trip to the Amazon where they accidentally discover the lost colony of Nova Roma, which is a lost Roman colony that's out in the Amazon rainforest. They really got lost. They got very lost. (laughs) It's later retconned that a mutant named Selene, who's a major character in this just really missed Rome, so she kidnapped and brainwashed a bunch of people to create, like, a little mini-Rome? Good for her. No. 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 (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) Celine's mutant power is she steals your life to stay young. She's not a good person. I never met a Celine in any fictional work that's a good person. No. That's just as a general rule. Uh, I don't even trust Celine Dion. (laughs) It's during this this time that the young member Magma joins the New Mutants. Got it. The biggest problem going on, though, is that after Black Eagle dies, the spells keeping the demonic bear away are starting to weaken and fall apart, and she's starting to have uh, many nightmares about the demon bear. I mean, he is dead, so that's fair. Yeah, no, and straight up happens. Danny decides that the best way to deal with this is to go hunt the demon bear herself, initially thinking she kills it. However, she's like, I killed it, turns around, and the bear immediately mauls her Mm. just immediately. She is sent to the hospital where the new mutants are forced to fight off the demon bear to protect her while the surgery is going on. She is revived, although it is initially thought that she will be permanently paralyzed because she got mauled by a bear, a demon bear in the process. And something we will talk about in the, uh, the reading part of this two white people, are permanently altered to look like superhuman Native Americans in a super problematic aspect that Chris Gretlaremont falls for several times throughout the history of his writing career. Looking at you, Psylocke. Yeah, I don't think I ever knew Tom Corsi. Tom Corsi and Sharon. Yeah, Sarah. I, get... I don't know. The nurse dies not long after this. Right. <laughs> like, I recognize <laughs> Tom, Corsi... but I didn't recognize Tom until the end. Yeah, I, I never like... knew who Tom was. He was just one of those people that appeared <clears throat> in X-Men up. comics every yeah. once in a while. And they become kind of Native American Captain Americas because they're also like, they're not mutants, but they're now to the like ultimate supreme of human condition. Not to the point of super strength. It's not categorized as super strength. He just works out. The peak human condition. Mm-hmm. He's got like a six pack and he, he deadlifts 20. 20 and they start kind of awkwardly dressing and acting like stereotypical Native Americans. And you're like, Chris, just bring in more Native characters if you want to do this, man. Like, we don't have to keep turning white people into other races. <laughs> Especially white people that didn't exist before this. <laughs> like, come on, guy. Psylocke wasn't supposed to be that way permanently, but I think we talk about that in Word Balloons. We do not have time to get that mm-hmm. into that here. Moonstar is reunited with her parents after the New Mutants defeat the bear and turn them back into her parents. Uh, And thanks to the Morlock known as Healer, her injuries end up not being permanent, though she will spend the next year or two in the comics. So like 12 to 24 issues, mostly hanging out in a wheelchair Mm. or with crutches. Which is long, long lasting. Amora the Enchantress kidnaps the New Mutants and brings them to Asgard. Danny finds herself in Valhalla, where she rescues a winged horse from a group of hunters. The winged horse, a, you know, obviously Pegasus, although that is a Greek term. 
ends up being a, a member of a herd that belongs to Odin, ruler of Asgard. The horses are ridden by the Valkyries into battle and turn out to be the ones who actually choose the Al Valkyries. Mirage, having forged an immediate psychic report with the horse, who she names Brightwind, is chosen to be a Valkyrie. And she actually straight up becomes a Valkyrie of Odin in a really amazing... That sounds amazing. Um... And it's really interesting because she never becomes like a worshiper of the Norse gods. She never abandons her Native American or her Cheyenne, I should say, because it's specifically Cheyenne heritage. But she also, you know, I am Cheyenne, but I'm also a mutant. I am Cheyenne, but I'm also a Valkyrie. The reason I chose a quote that starts with her being like, I am Cheyenne, is she is one of the few characters that is really allowed to keep that part of her heritage in a way that is not... Yeah, I'm going to argue there's a, there's a time period where she doesn't after the decimation. I'll give you that. Again, not all of this is perfect, but mm -hmm. for huge parts of her story, at least, being Cheyenne is definitely a huge part of who she is. They don't always do it great. Well, and I was going to say, I guess even before the decimation, there is a, a point where she gets... Mm, she gets called out by one of her own deities for being hanging around the Norse too much. I but we'll get story. to that. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Now, after returning from Asgard, uh, Professor Xavier leaves Earth for an indefinite period of time to go hang out with his space girlfriend. Shyar Empress girlfriend. <laughs> and he leaves the school in control of Magneto. Oops. All metal. Danny, not really feeling like this is a good idea, goes home to visit her parents where she runs into her old quote-unquote friend, Pat Roberts, who still hates her and is very racist to her. So a friend. Yeah, great friend. Um, <laughs> Pat is injured and stuck in a blizzard where Moonstar sees the death mark on him because she now has the ability to see the death mark on people because she's a Valkyrie. Like, part of her job is to go collect the souls of the dead. But because this is a childhood quote-unquote friend, she decides that instead she's going to fight off death, who arrives in the form of a gunslinger. Mm. And she succeeds. Uh-huh. But Pat is in a coma. Yeah. So death reemerges as a Native American woman afterwards uh, and convinces her. She's like, okay, you can keep fighting me off, but he's never coming out of that coma. So your choice is life in a coma or you can let me take him. The, the, this is it. This is what you were And she to eventually do. relents. But that does make her one of the few people who even temporarily has straight up beat death in a fight. <laughs> Which is amazing. Yes. <laughs> you were saying this before we were recording that we really, in retrospect, maybe should have done that issue. Yeah, uh, issue 41 of New Mutants. Uh, highly recommend you read it if you have not. I did not know about it when I was initially picking some of this stuff. After this, she returns to the New Mutants. Uh, when Magneto is invited to attend a Hellfire Club event, he brings the New Mutants as well. That night, Danny spends a long time hanging out with the leader of the Hellions, a fellow Native American named James Proudstar, who is another character I'm Warpath. really fond of. Warpath is super cool. There is a definite implied romance between the two that is later dropped by other writers, but... And I'm kind of back and forth, because on one hand, oh, the two Native Americans, they better kiss. But also, like, they're he's a really badass. good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it works. Like, I get it. <laughs> I understand how that's kind of problematic in certain ways, but also, oh, God, they actually had, like, really good chemistry. 
Uh, the two get along really well and think very highly of each other, but the other new mutants and Hellions automatically cause trouble. Who would have thought? Yeah, I know. This leads to another contest between the two teams. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> where they are trying to track down a person who had sold a fake statue of the mutant Celine, and the uh, whoever failed, like whichever team failed, had to publicly apologize to the other team and be like, we were wrong. Turns out the new mutants lose this battle mm. because James Proudstar outthought the others, but Danny actually handles it pretty well. She is a little more emotionally mature than most of the other new mutants. Headstrong is all get out, but yeah. It'll temper with age. I keep telling myself. Uh, this does end in a battle with the Hellions and the New Mutants versus Viper and the Silver Samurai. Whoa, who's that? He has a samurai. <laughs> who's Silver? Who has the Murasama blade, which is a blade that can cut through anything. Returning to Nova Roma, probably because Magma wanted to visit her dad or whatever. Magma's kind of terrible and so is Nova Roma, so I don't... I didn't put too much time into this, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Danny is thrown under the High Evolutionary's depowering machine. You might remember the High Evolutionary from Lies About the Scarlet Witch every 45 seconds. Yes. However, two mutants, Bulk and Glowworm, who had just been depowered and were dying because of it, reverse the machine on Danny, restoring her powers, but also uh, giving her the ability to make her spirit images real, but the image would not go away until a new image was made. You know, that sounds really fun. And really horrifying. And to be expected from the machine of a man who made a cow woman to just take care of his babies. Just oh, poor Bova. <laughs> um, so this ends, you know, she can create that giant spider to scare you, but it's not going away till she creates something else. During this time, she also figures out a way to manifest what is known as the spirit lance, which she can carry around as a weapon. Kind of like the uh, soul sword. Not nearly as powerful as the Soul Sword, but yes, along the same lines, magic weapon. Danny goes on a ride with Brightwind, but falls into a pond and creates a Porsche to return home. Danny's pulled over, and after she manifests a fake license, the car vanishes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just hilariously bad. Brightwind returns, and she flees home, vanishing her fake license for the Spirit Lance once again. Thinking that the lance is too big, Danny decides to make it into a necklace, which she constantly wears, so she is always using the power somewhere, and she can just make the necklace big again when she needs her lance. Because mm. also, she's still got the freaking Pegasus that she's, like, using in battle. She's now air support mm. for the new mutants. Danny decides to keep her new powers and the origin of her necklace a secret from Magneto. The new mutants decide not to stay under the care of Magneto as one as he becomes overly protective after the death of their teammate Cypher. Magneto reveals that he had joined the X-Men, he leaves the New Mutants, and had entered into the Hellfire Club in an attempt to build a foundation for control and peace among mutant kind. Quote. Basically, he had taken three of the major power sets of the mutant world, forged them all together so they all had some sort of deep connection to him, so he could create a mutant army to protect mutant kind when he inevitably thought humans would attack. The new mutants, who turns out did not want to be in a Magneto army, leave, and he's like, all right, but you're gonna come crawling back when I'm right. No. It doesn't really work. No. We know how that ends. The new mutants are then introduced to X-Factor, the original five X-Men. Cyclops, Jean Grey, 
Iceman, Angel, at this point Archangel, and Beast. And they live on his ship with a group of young ex-mutant people that they had been teaming up with called the Exterminators. <laughs> These names. It's a goofy name. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, and it is X-Terminators. Nice. It's an X-Book. Hela, the death goddess of Asgard, which I know that that's just who she is, but God, that's a cool, like, title, uh, attempts to take over Asgard and infects Danny and the other Valkyrie with a mystical fever surrounding both Mirage and Brightwind in flame. Hela is going to use Moonstar to gather human forces to defeat Thor, but Danny tries to fight off her influence for as long as she can. Mm. Uh, the new mutants go to Doctor Strange to help her, and Doctor Strange actually does, unlike pretty much every other apprentice he actually takes on. That's just me throwing shade at Doctor Strange. That's, That's not actually. He actual deserves part. it. This ends up with a Danny on the astral plane uh, being calmed by Doctor Strange while her body is continuing to battle the new mutants. This goes on until Rain saves a young girl from Danny's body, which kind of gives Danny the kick in the pants she needs to return and assert control of her own body. The new mutants will go on to have various other battles with Asgard, Freedom Force, Hela, and this whole battle with Odin that I'm kind of glossing over because it gets really comp. It's a huge crossover mm. story. Um, but at the end of the day, they save Odin and the new mutants are returned to Earth, except for Moonstar, who chooses to stay behind, hoping to repair the damage that she had done as a Valkyrie and just kind of help out Asgard, who's having a rough time. Which is fair. A Cheyenne god, and I am going to try really hard to pronounce this correctly. Hota Mintanio. H-O-T-A-M-I-N-T-A-N-I-O decides that one of his people has been spending too much time in Asgard and goes to bring Danielle back. Danielle, however, dis dis persuades him that she's she'll leave when she's good and ready. She's not, you know, a follower of Asgard now, but they need her help now, so this is where she's going to stay. Mm. When she does eventually return to Earth... Uh, for some reason, her winged horse has been renamed from Brightwind to Darkwind, mostly because it's the 90s and it was time to make things edgy. She joins S.H.I.E.L.D. and is asked to infiltrate the Mutant Liberation Front, which was the New Mutants became X-Force, and while the New Mutants' big foes were the Hellions, X-Force's big foes were the Mutant Liberation Front. Except while they had like a love-hate relationship with the Hellions, the MLF just wanted to murder them. The MILF? <laughs> I've been not saying it, man. I've been not saying it very carefully. Uh, the MLF is full of a bunch of really terrible characters, including Forearm, whose powers yes. include the ability to have four arms. Wow. But he is actually kind of sweet and does form a real friendship with uh, Danny Moonstar. Moonstar, who is now at this point just going undercover as the name Moonstar, so it's a really bad undercover, gets a, a really 90s costume, but does have a slightly sweet mask at this time. She also gains the ability to create psionic arrows that she can fire from her bow, which is awesome. It's, again, kind of problematic Native American stereotype that her mutant power is the bow and arrow related, but it's also really cool. On, on that front, Danny, compared to most other Native characters in Marvel... Isn't that problematic overall? Her psychic arrows are probably the worst part. Yeah. 
Or the, I have an instinctual connection to animals. Honestly, the way that's played, I'd say the arrows are worse. <laughs> I agree, but it's also really... Vi- it's one of those things where you're like, I can see how this is a problem, but it's also visually really striking. Mm-hmm. During her time in the MLF, she will befriend Forearm, and she will be trying to keep track of the new leader of the MLF, a man named Rainfire, who appears to be a version of Sunspot from the future who has gone mad with power and is gone back in time to do weird murder things. Um, I'm not going to even attempt to explain Rainfire because he was retconned about six times. I think he originally was Sunspot from the future and later... He wasn't. I've read that story and I still don't know. Uh, but he does kill Brightwind. Dang. Yeah. And Danny's like, I'm really mad at you. You killed my winged horse. But I also think you're my best friend? Why is she friends? Gone mad? Well, she's Brightwind, really close to Sunspot. I have an answer for the earlier bit. Brightwind became Darkwind when she was stripped of her Valkyrie abilities. Oh, okay. Why was she stripped of her Valkyrie abilities? Uh, because of the way that the whole fight between Odin and Hela played out. Which actually, like, when she later becomes a Valkyrie again, she's actually more powerful than the other Valkyries because her powers come directly from Hela. Yeah, she is straight up, the goddess of death has given me my death powers. Try and stop me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> While being a secret agent to S.H.I.E.L.D. and a uh, undercover in the MLF, she also starts becoming an informant to Cable, who at the time is leading the X-Force. After the MLF is eventually defeated... She joins X-Force on a permanent basis, Mm. rejoining her old members. And her and X-Force basically go on a road trip because they were, you know, college-age kids in the 90s. It was a fun book, but it was college-age kids on a road trip. Nothing that exciting happens, except uh, she does at one point... Wait, they were cashing in on road rules? Yeah, probably. (laughs) She is affected by a... Uh, creature known as Arcadia who gives her the ability to channel quantum energies which allows her to affect matter on a subatomic level. My goodness. Yeah, I know. This somehow ends up with her being transformed into four different versions of Moonstar. The New Mutants, the Valkyrie, the member of the MLF, and the current one. The the quantum-powered one. Due to various accept who you are, accept yourself, she eventually is able to remerge all of these together and her powers return to normal. She has so many powers. Yeah. But at this point, it's the psychic fear. I don't think she's creating illusions, like permanent illusions at this point. No. And the, the psychic Cause that got Because that had gotten changed when she mm-hmm. got depowered. Yeah, her powers are all over the map here. Um, X-Force decide to team up with the Excalibur member Pete Wisdom, who uh, you met in Captain Britain and the MI-13, mm-hmm. uh, to become a proactive X-team, and she quits and decides to go attend college instead of wearing a bunch of black leather and killing people. Yeah. 
Honestly. That's fair. It's not a bad book. Also, it's but Pete that's Wisdom. Well, I mean. <laughs> Don't, nothing good happens when you team up with Pete Wisdom. <laughs> she does become a support member of the X-Men team along with Forge during this time, part-time, while she's mostly being a college student. Um, I'm under the opinion that Danny should spend time on the main X-Men team. I think she's earned a shot at the big leagues, mm. but it's never really happened. When the Xavier Institute becomes a full-on school, not just like 12 to 15 people, but hundreds of students, she is made a full-on professor by Professor X. That's pretty cool. Danny's initially hesitant to take up the offer, but she agrees after all of the students that she helped recruit and, you know, give therapy to specifically ask her to stay and become their, like, counselor. She also, during this time, adopts uh, a young student named Josh Foley, who was excommunicated from his family after his mutant powers emerged. Uh, and this will create a rift between her and Rain, who, for some reason, decides that she's going to start a relationship with a student while Rain is working as a teacher. Mm. This student, who is also the adopted ward of her best friend. It was bad writing on Rain's part. Uh, uh, Josh Foley, it should be noted, is himself an Omega-level mutant. He is the healer known as Elixir. Uh, interesting. <laughs> you don't know him, doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, but he is kind of, he would come up if we do an X-Men season, let's put it that way. Got it. However, after the events of M-Day, where Scarlet Witch says no more mutants and 90% of mutants lose their power, Danny loses her powers and is fired uh, by the White Queen under the... Uh, the White Queen is very harsh about it. If she had stopped and talked to people, she would not have seemed like the giant that she was. But uh, she's like, oh, all of these unpowered mutants are now targets. And it's not safe to keep them here. And she's proved right when people blow up a school bus almost immediately. Because, oh, all those mutants are now unpowered. But she just does it in such a way that she's like, hey, get out of here. We don't need you anymore. Despite the fact that Danny is even without powers, an extremely capable X-Man at this point. Uh, she's hired by Henry Gyrick, the guy that shot Storm with the neutralizer gun, to help train a, or not a mutant, but a superpowered individual known as Trauma, whose mutant power is to turn into whatever someone fears the most. So Very similar to her power, except he actually transforms. Mm. She succeeds and helps him learn to use it to be a therapist which is horrifying, but kind of amazing at the same time. Unfortunately, Gyrick was hoping to use him as a black ops weapon and mm. gets very mad and fires Danny. It's exposure technique. Uh-huh. That'd be fun. When the X-Men are temporarily disbanded, Donald Pierce poses at Cyclops and gathers some uh, young mutants as a hit squad, claiming that the new mutants had become a new brotherhood and turns the kids loose on them. Danny and her teammates fight back and uh, reveal that it's actually Donald Pierce, not Cyclops. However, the real Cyclops convinces Danny and Sunspot that they should train these young X-Men as, as new mutants. They're mm -hmm. called young X-Men instead, but the same idea. Cannonball ends up forming a new mutant squad where Danny basically forces her way on board. She doesn't have any mutant powers and Cannonball's like, well, no, you're going to die. So she challenges into a danger room fight and beats him handily in a very classic Storm versus Cyclops kind of move. She also then makes out with him handily, which was kind of, <laughs> it was sort of weird 
Because those two had had a very sibling relationship, but also at the same time, they had, like, such deep ties and been through so much. I'm not surprised they went through a, like, I could do some kisses phase. <laughs> During a time where Norman Osborn's Dark Avengers attack the X-Men, Cyclops goes to Danny and is like, hey, Norman Osborn has Ares God of War. We don't have a god. Do you think you could help us out? So Danny goes to Hela and makes a deal. Make me a Valkyrie again, and I'll owe you a favor. I won't work for you, but I'll owe you a favor. It succeeds, and she becomes, for the next few years, one of the X-Men's heaviest hitters, because she straight up has the power of, I am the most powerful Valkyrie. Crap. Her and Cannibal's relationship doesn't last a long time, and she will end up dating, briefly, X-Man, who is the uh, alternate universe Cable? Yeah. So the alternate universe son of Cyclops and the clone of Jean Grey. Okay. Nate Grey. Go listen to our word balloons on the Summers Family Tree, man. Like, it's <laughs> I will. amazing. We um, barely touch on X-Man in that one, do we? Nope, but we mention him. <laughs> For the next while, Danny will kind of become, like, one of the main background characters of the X-Men. Like, oh, we, we need the big guns. Danny's part of them. The New Mutants themselves will... The X-Men at the time are li living on a island nation called Utopia. The New Mutants go buy an apartment together in San Francisco and all crash to have their own little, like, we're close enough that we can help out, but we're going to go do our thing. She is recruited by the main Valkyrie, uh, Brunhild, into the Fearless Defenders because Valkyrie was supposed to create a, a new group of Valkyries after all the Valkyries died. Yes, that's a very confusing sentence. <laughs> but she doesn't. She just tries to do it all herself and ends up having to uh, get help. And it was kind of supposed to become the, like, pull in whatever girl heroes we need. Yeah. Uh, and it had a lot of potential as a book, but it never went that far. Danny's stories from this point on are honestly not that interesting. She is recruited to stop uh, Lady Mastermind, who is dying of something known as the M-Pox and taking out an entire club on her way out. Like, goes to a dance party and starts creating weird mutant things with her weird mutant mastermind powers. I mean, <laughs> the big thing at this time is that she's basically being used as a death radar. Yeah. Because she has the Valkyrie powers, and did we touch on this in one of these episodes where they were trying to get rid of the mutants for a bit, basically. We talked about it in Scarlet Witch where... Uh, right, so uh, the Terrigen Mist is killing... That's where the M-Pox thing comes from. Oh, that was from the Magic episode, yeah. Uh, they're using Danny of like, well, bunch of death is coming that way, send Danny and some X-Men to come help out. Mm -hmm. It's... No one really likes to talk about that era, so not much... <laughs> not much happens. Mostly in that era. The main thing I remember from that era is Storm being really mean to Forge. Mm. Which is not important to this. Also fair. Uh-huh. I mean, they almost got married at one point, but that's a whole different thing. Uh, but eventually, when Krakoa happens, Moonstar does join the mutination of Krakoa. During this time, she... Somewhere along the way, and I'm sorry, I could not quite find the answer. I think it's in a story called New Mutants Dead Souls. Danny regains her original powers, which she hasn't had since M-Day in around 2003. So she went almost 20 years with either no powers or Valkyrie powers. And when she had no powers, she also did have the power of gun and the power of bow and arrow, but mm. still. 
she regains her powers, teams up with the other New Mutants, and decides to go out into space because Cannonball has, in the time since we've last talked about him, married an alien and moved to a different planet, and they go to visit. Oh, nice. Touching base. Yeah. Uh, since then, she has been working with a lot of the younger New Mutant characters. New Mutants itself kind of became a book, at least in later parts of it, that was just about all of the young X-Men characters, because every 10 years or so, Marvel will release a new class of X-Men. And they're like, okay, it's getting really complicated between New X-Men Academy X, Generation X, X-Force, New Mutants. They're, they're all New Mutants. Just bam, done. I get, there was one other thing to mention in that little in-between part that we sort of skipped over. At a point during a crossover event called War of the Nine Realms, she ends up being the only Valkyrie left for a short little bit. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. I knew I was forgetting something. I'm sorry. Most of the articles I was looking at got to the point of the New Mutants story where they were hanging out in San Francisco. And then, and then they kind of skipped to Krakoa. And I'm like, guys, I don't, I work a full-time job. I don't have time to read all of these stories. I did read War of the Nine Realms. Honestly, like, it was a super cool crossover. I barely remember her parts in it. Like, she doesn't pop up that much. It's just kind of important that, like... She's the last Valkyrie. She is the last Valkyrie for a little bit, so... Goodness. <laughs> The main, I mean, as we said here, she doesn't use magic ever, other than she's granted magic powers of the Valkyrie, so we probably could have used her elsewhere, but she's so close. I mean, she's the first mutant, new mutant to trust magic, and the first one to find out that she's a sorcerer and to go to limbo with her, so it really did feel like this was the time to use her. And her stuff, I mean, other than her mutant ability, everything else about her is basically magic based she's just not magic herself. she's not doing she's not casting a spell it's more innate and we're this is where we're going to start going into with some of the the magic stuff as we go on is characters who aren't spell casters but are connected to the magic world and i'm actually pretty excited about that because it stops being you know the wand of watum and the crimson bands of sitarak and more Ghost Riders and Sons of Satan and whatever the heck Moon Knight is. Yeah, magic's infused with everything they're doing, but it's not a spell. Mm -hmm. It's just magic. Just what they are. Yeah. But we're not quite there yet. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will actually discuss the Demon Bear Saga. Okay, so tell me how to say the name again. Bill Sinkevich? Yes. Sinkevich, uh, the artist on this book. Uh, the first page is described as the page that changed comic books forever. And melted my eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> What's fun about Sinkevich is he is much more interested in conveying emotion than he always is necessarily about conveying realism. Mm. So some of his, uh, some of his stuff can get very psychedelic. <laughs> which yeah. definitely shows here. <laughs> and I think it's perfect for a book like The New Mutants, which is an X-Men book, but it's always had this kind of, like, horror elements to it. And uh, his stuff is spooky. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, like, terrifying, but there is... It's unnerving. Some, yes, unnerving's a good word Because, like, it. you see what it's supposed to be like, but there's extra stuff that you're like, I, 
That's a weird emotion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just pulling up the issues again real quick uh, so I can take a look at them while we talk about it. It's them. very much a product of the time that it came out, you know, the mid-80s. What art was kind of doing at the time. Mm. I definitely felt the 80s vibe there. In oh, some yeah. those first panels especially. You could, I definitely felt that. Uh, I do like the facial expressions of the bear, especially in the last issue. You get like the the anger and like the just like the hatred, the crazy eyes that you see there. Like amazing. I don't think I've ever seen other art convey like that type of emotion that vividly. Mm-hmm. Except maybe in when we read uh, those issues for Scarlet Witch, though, some of that art was. Also I amazing. definitely. I'm sure that they were inspired by Sienkiewicz and definitely not the other way around because most of them are like our age. Yeah. But, or a little older. But uh, I definitely had that same, like, oh, yeah, that made me think of this. Um, yeah. So when you brought up the that first page, being the, the page that changed comics, dude, this fucking art is brilliant. And just re looking at it again, I realize how brilliantly it wraps back around to the end of what happens in the demon bear because the way that his darkness is being portrayed is it being scattered across a grid Mm. and when you relook at this first page the color is all being brought in on a grid yeah it is danny moonstar having a nightmare in her room and it's a red and white like grid blanket and the demon bear is kind of in the red. In the, yeah, emerging almost. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, he's there's a reason he's one of the most famous comic book r- artists of all time. I remembered it being good, but now like when I first saw it reading it the first time through, I hadn't seen the end and, mm-hmm. and how that they were sort of certain things. Yeah, I mm-hmm. didn't connect what you were saying at all. The panel um, where he the bear is beneath the the orb of the surgery room and then the two orbs of the officer and the nurse. Mm-hmm. That also was a really cool panel. It just balanced out, like, all the threats. Well, what I like about it is the bear, in some level, almost looks more realistic than, like, as I said, previous depictions of the demon bear was kind of like a bear-shaped cloud. Mm. While this one, you get the full fur, you get a lot more detail than you would normally get, but he's also not overly concerned about the bear having straight-up bear anatomy. It's more the, the shape... And the feel of the size that does, I don't know if that made sense, made any sense, but like there's times where you can liken the bear to how almost how Kingpin is portrayed in spider verse, Mm -hmm. just a big where it's more about the silhouette or like the face having a certain expression in the middle of just a bigness. Mm -hmm. I will say the demon bear has appeared a couple of times since this. Not the same demon bear. Because it can't be. Well, yeah. Although one was implied to be the same demon bear. Don't worry about it. It's okay. fine. <laughs> it's someone who I don't think ever read the demon bear saga, but decided Bishop at one point was possessed by a demon bear. Okay. Which was how they wanted to write off the fact that he went evil and tried to blow up everything. He listened to our word balloons on that one, too. But, um, yeah, Bishop once tried to wipe out all of humanity. Uh, and Warpath was once attacked by a demon bear and saved by Ghost Rider, of all people. Good for Ghost Rider. But, but none of them were very dangerous feeling. 
No, the this... one that Bishop was possessed by, Psylocke ended up saving him, and then she's like, I've got a new bear buddy. And was like her psychic companion for a brief while before people <laughs> were like, Psylocke is complicated enough. We don't need to explain why a bear is hanging out with her all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, especially there's a panel where, I forgot his name, the Sunspot? Sunspot. And Ileana are waiting outside the surgery room, and she puts up the ward, the power goes out. And then you see the bear behind them. You're like, oh, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not to just talk about Sinque- Sin- Sinkevich's art. I'll get it. Uh, but his style for both Sunspot and Magma are perfect. for Because they have the mutant power that transforms them physically. Mm-hmm. And he is one of those artists that is great for X-Men books because he takes that physical transformation and really dials it up to 11. Yeah, Sunspot turns into, like, that black demon-looking thing. Oh, it's so cool. Nothing's getting through this door. It is never not cool. (laughs) And then it gets through the door, but... (laughs) So we kind of mentioned this before. Super important Danny Moonstar story, who we just got done talking about for an hour, but... She's in a coma all of it. The whole time, yeah. I was reading this going, damn it, damn it. <laughs> At first I was reading, I was like, is this supposed to be like, are we talking about Ileana again? Like, there's a lot of Ileana. Yeah, in no, I know. I, <laughs> you know what? This is a perfect reading, though, to follow up that Ileana mm-hmm. episode. I, I still on some level maintain I made the right choice of I think Ileana before just because it's a great way of really understanding what she went through. But if... And it makes sense why. And as we said with last time, uh, I wouldn't recommend necessarily magic as a, like, you've never seen Ileana other than I did it to you. Uh, here's how you, like, fall in love with this character. This is a book that if I really wanted someone to know why Ileana was cool, not just, like, the history of why they're important, but why they're cool, this is a book that I'd be willing to, like, toss at them and be like, come talk to me after. Because mm. she gets to use a soul sword. We see her armor. Um, this is the first time her armor ever appears. Yeah, she's super confused. It's amazing, though. And then we also kind of see how she's adapted to life after after the that portal incident where she was in limbo for a while. This is, I think, the maybe third storyline since she joined the team. And in the first one, she's not super involved. Mm. They don't really know what's going on. And then in the next one, they find out that she can teleport to a hell dimension and is a sorceress. Yeah, so this like, is the oh, one where it. she's like, no, I, no, seriously, it'll be, I can help. Yeah. <laughs> she has a cool pet dragon and the werewolf lady hates her. So, you know, and that's fair because she is a sorceress <laughs> from Limbo. Okay. So the cool pet dragon is actually Kitty's mm. uh, Lockheed by name. He's an alien. Cool. Um, Lockheed is so cool. Uh, And yeah, Rain was raised by an abusive Catholic priest who kept telling her she was going to go to hell just constantly. Just so like any any, like she wants to be pretty, but also anytime that like the idea of even just like dressing up, she's going to go to hell. So literal demon woman who can transport to hell dimension. She's like, Oh, I am not equipped to deal with this. I am. I think I'm going to hell cause I can turn into a wolf. You have a whole different level going down. That does set up for at near the end part of the third comic reread where Ileana grabs her and she's like, unhand me, unhand me. 
She's like, shut up. <laughs> this is what's happening. <laughs> Brayden, stop it. Stop. <laughs> we have more important matters than <laughs> you being scared of me. <laughs> this is where Rain does... Rain does not like Ileana after this, but she's starting to be like, you help maybe my I'm wrong. Yeah. You're my ally, if nothing else. And I don't necessarily feel good about being allied with a witch, but... I mean, if she, if Rain even partially understood what those wards were, she'd be like, okay, we cool. <laughs> Rain's got this ongoing storyline that is going to last for a while yet of, oh my God, I was raised this way. What does my faith mean? And it's actually a really interesting storyline, but I do want to smack her a lot of like, would you stop being mean to people? How much do her and Kurt ever hang out? She's terrified of Kurt. Yeah, really? Uh, absolutely horror. Because he looks like a demon. Well, yeah, but he's I also... Know. He's also super Catholic. <laughs> yeah. But the um, there's literally a point where he's... This is complicated, but uh, it takes place a few issues later. Kurt is trying to teach Cannonball to maneuver better. Because at yeah. this point, Cannonball can pretty much shoot forward and hasn't figured out turning much yet. Yeah, he, there's a... It comes up in... It comes up in this. He's like, I, I have to do this like Kurt told me. And, <laughs> oh, sweet, it worked. Uh, and Kurt's trying to teach him acrobatics moves so he can, like, manipulate and change directions a lot more. And because it's Kurt, he sets up the danger room to be a circus. <laughs> So they can go swinging across the trapeze, mm -hmm. and if he learns some of those kind yeah. of movements, he'll do okay. And Rain is watching, and so Kurt does some weirdo thing. I'm not sure why he thought this was a good idea, but it's kind of there, where he manipulates the uh, holograms so both he and Rain look like clowns. And he's like, do you want to dance? And Rain, thinking it's Cannonball, who she has a crush on, is like, yes, I would. And he dances with her for a while, just like, have fun, relax, girl. Like, And then he's like, sorry, I got to go help Sam. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> and he's like, I'm hoping that this teaches you that, like, the appearances on the outside don't really matter. And she can't handle it because she was, you know, literally, she was being stoned to death, which, mm -hmm. you know, is kind of how Kurt joined, too. So, like, really, <coughs> it, it took her a while to learn to listen, but she does have so much in common with Kurt Wagner. Oh, Kurt. Oh, boy. Anyway. That's not Demon Burke Saga at all. That's just the, being excited. Yeah. Demon Burke. I mean, I, I was excited to finally read this just because it's such a famous storyline. It is. Especially in the age before Marvel Unlimited existed, there were certain storylines that just came up that you would know about. Days of Future Past, the Dark Phoenix Saga, the Demon Bear Saga. Like, these are... If it earned a saga name on it, that meant that it was big name X-Men story. Mm -hmm. I'd never read it before. I'm, I'm me. I'm running this podcast. I'm not running it. You're running this podcast. I'm talking. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I'm Professor Z, and I had never read this book somehow before. I mean, it earns a reputation. It oh, was a yeah. fantastic story. I super enjoyed it. I just... I'm trying to think if there's anything else, like, really magic-y to pull from it. It's kind of hard to talk, I'm realizing, about these, like, three-issue storylines when we do them. You know, Scarlet Witch, there's 15 issues. We were able to, like, claw something out of it. After uh, learning all that you have about the history of Danny Moonstar, uh, does it change how you view the Demon Bear saga now again? 
after mm-hmm. having read it the first time, not knowing all that. No. Yeah, I didn't think so, but I thought I'd ask. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I mean, all of the wild magic stuff is yet to come for the most part. Yeah. Like, I think it just gave me more appreciation for the context, but it, the core experience is the same. It's just, it was really good. Uh, the, I think Ilyana would technically be an interesting leader as well, so the fact that they're friends is... Curious. I don't think I would trust Ilyana to leave I wouldn't something. either, but it'd make for an interesting story. <laughs> I, I get that. So, I like Ilyana. I understand why people keep wanting to put her on teams now. I just... She's got... She's a little uneven. What <laughs> <laughs> with the whole dark child thing? <laughs> yeah. Part of she her needs Danny to be like, let me tell you what's what. Take a moment. Breathe. <laughs> we don't need this. <laughs> put the horns away. <laughs> Put that sword away. I think Ileana's maybe a better, like, emergency leader. Like, mm-hmm. if they're just hanging out and suddenly come under attack, or, I'm going to trust Ileana's first instincts over most of the rest of them. Yeah. But if you're going to look after a team long term, I would rather yes, follow start. Danny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, Ileana is now one of the captains of Krakoa. She yes. is a military leader there. Well, Danny's just... I don't know. Danny's just hanging out. She's had a rough time. She's a Valkyrie, so... I think she's good. Yeah. <laughs> I think she did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of curious who would win of Ilyana versus Valked Up Danny. Oh, like Valkyrie plus Danny? Yeah. Like, normal, I think Ilyana's much more powerful. But, I mean, Valked Up, it's still maybe because the, the, the Soul Sword hurts everything. Magic. Magic, especially. So it might cancel out the Valkyrie power, but. I think it's pretty close as long as um, Danny didn't get pulled into limbo. I think once you're in limbo, once Ileana, you're in limbo, it's done. You're, yeah. you are at Ilyana's. <laughs> Welcome to Pound <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> I think she. Oh, I mean, she's sorceress of Supremo limbo. Like, <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the Ralphie me. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to visualize that one for a while now. Thank you for that. <laughs> Any last thoughts on this before we move on and give it on our next? I like that. Or on Forge, because we did talk about or him for a minute. For Forge. Forge just sounds like a evil supervillain. <laughs> he really should be. Uh, he just makes weapons and things that he shouldn't be making, and then, you know, goes about his life. And I then... promise there's good sides to Forge. <laughs> just, you know, if we're going to talk about magic, it's mostly summoning demons with the souls of my dead buddies. Which he Look. does twice. He plays with the souls of his dead buddies a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm a touch over a third of the way into... All of the new era, like Don of X stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like eight different on running books. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and I'm reading them all in release order. So it's actually been jumping from book to book to book to book to book instead of doing like two or three in this book in a row. And then anyway, uh, Forge is maybe my second favorite part of all of it so far. He's he has amazing. been amazing. Oh, and he's going to have some stuff coming up. 
But he's just been like, eh, cool. Uh, now that those guys are done wasting my time, I'm going to go make some <laughs> sweet robot legs. <laughs> and he's just like... He does make a lot of robot body parts for X-Men. Nice. <laughs> and they show up and they're like, uh, we need some new toys. And he's like, yo, this isn't the place for wiffle bats, but if you need some, <laughs> something that's going to kill somebody, you're coming to the right place. <laughs> I can create guns and robot legs. Nothing else. Sometimes I'm busy. Sometimes those are the same thing. Plus, you get panels of him just like walking in in crazy like bioorganic armor, Heck just yeah. like every other page. He's like, so what's up? So next week we are going to be finishing up our. Witches segment, at least the reading parts, before we dive into some movie times. Air quotes. Witches. Witches. And we will actually be dealing with some witches. Um, we will be... I'm just going to warn you right in advance. This book is supposed to be pretty bad that we're reading. But it's also called Witches. And I just didn't feel like we could go through this without... Reading it. Reading it. Especially because... It will be cover. It will use two of the like five characters we'll be talking about. We will, in theory, be talking about Agatha Harkness. We will be talking about Zelma Stanton, Doctor Strange's librarian. We will be talking about. I keep wanting to say Opal, but it's not that. It's um, Topaz. Uh, Topaz. We will be talking about Jennifer Kale. I think we will be talking about another person that I can't think of right now. Just everybody that we don't have much to say because... Kind of like our Doctor's episode yeah. of Doctor Doom, Doctor Druid, Doctor Voodoo. And the one that wasn't a Doctor. Wasn't there one that wasn't a Doctor yeah, that probably. episode? whatever. We'll go back to it. <laughs> um, you can always listen to that. But I just wanted to warn you in advance, which is, is probably not good, but sometimes that's still fun. Uh, and that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the game... The hourly game of chess starts soon. Hourly? How much? <laughs> oh, actually, for those of you staying on the island, I said for those of you staying on the game. I was just going to roll with it. For those of you staying on the island, the hourly game of chess starts soon. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Noob Island. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.